Hi, and welcome to another episode of But Have You Heard About? I am your host, Courtney, and we are doing another solo episode today. Because I wanted to add more flair, even though we have intro music, but whatever. Anyways, so today I wanted to touch on a topic that I, I didn't know if I wanted to do by myself, but I also didn't want to like push anyone to necessarily talk about this with me, even though I'm pretty sure there'd be a lot of people who would have probably jumped at the opportunity to do this. Um, but I also didn't want to go so into the weeds on some of this. And I just kind of wanted to focus on certain aspects. So from my beautiful title, you know that I want to talk about um, how we got from slave patrols to militias to policing and basically how the KKK originally operated. So if you don't know anything about slave patrols, which I mean, basically wasn't taught in history that we had slave patrols, they were established in 1704 in South Carolina. Basically, it started off as a voluntary system where if you were a white person, you were supposed to be like, hey, you're a black person, where's your papers if you're free? And if they weren't, you're supposed to voluntarily somehow take them back to their master. However, the voluntary stuff didn't work because you couldn't just get someone to voluntarily be like, let me stop my duties and chores that I'm doing in the early 1700s, you know, which is basically your whole livelihood. They then were like, okay, we need to pay people to basically be on the lookout for runaway slaves. In South Carolina, they established slave patrols. And once they were established, they were paid for bringing slaves back, whether by the masters or by local government. Um, whomever was running it at the time, because again, these were the colonies at the time. Remember, it's 1704, not, you know, 1804. So it basically spread like wildfire. It obviously was more attractive in the southern states where they had more slaves versus the northern states and the colonies that were more of indentured servants in a sense, because they didn't have the agriculture aspect the South had. So you have these slave patrols, and they basically already have like this whole system when it comes to basically being trained, because they have to capture people. So whether they're using whips, chains, guns, just intimidation tactics, they also have like a hierarchy as well. And they also understand commands in a sense. So when we start talking about American Revolution and the militias, they went to slave patrols because they were already kind of trained. And how were these slave patrols already trained? That's a great question. I'm sure you had in your head that I'd be more than happy to answer for you. So since slave owners feared the gatherings that were held by enslaved people would allow them to trade or steal goods and have the potential for organizing a revolt or rebellion, South Carolina and Virginia selected patrols from state militias. So you have these slave patrols already being started, and then you have state militias being brought up after the American Revolution. And they're like, okay, we're going to bring people in from these state militias who have been, you know, trained as cadets at Southern military academies like the Citadel and the Virginia Military Institute. And they provided that military command structure and discipline. So you already kind of have the formation of the police when it comes to that commanding officer, that hierarchy that, you know, you have someone at the top and it goes down. And also using military tactics, these slave patrols would then be able to detect, encounter, crush, intimidate um, slaves that were either having meetings in any sort of gathering, whether it led to a, um, a revolt or a rebellion at all. And these slave patrols, they they basically increased once you had slave codes, as well as the fugitive slave laws. And the fugitive slave laws didn't just impact anyone who happened to be an African American or a slave. If you were a white person, you had to you know follow certain rules where if you saw a black person, you had to be like, hey, where's your master or where are your papers? 
And if they didn't have the free papers on them, you had to bring them back to their master or find someone or find another slave patroller. I'm not saying that, oh, woe was the white person that had to do that, but everyone had a part to play and it sucks. And you go back and you look at it and I'm like, this is ridiculous. You basically created your own police state where you're checking everyone just because of the color of their skin. Before the Civil War, you have the Underground, underground Railroad and slave patrols would try to chase people that were fleeing anywhere from the South. When I was doing this research to kind of like get a little bit more familiar with, you know, how did we go from slave patrols to police to, you know, militias in the KKK and reading more about like that infrastructure and how they, you know, user training that they receive from military academies to find people. Um, I was reading about the reverse underground railroad, which I had no idea about. I mean, like, I guess I kind of assumed it was there. I personally have never uh, watched the movie or read the book 12 Years a Slave. It's bad that I haven't and I'm talking about this because this would actually be a really great thing to um, watch after reading more on the Reverse Underground Railroad. But you have slave patrols that are going out trying to find people that have escaped or they there were some that would literally egg slaves on to leave so they could then detain them to bring them back to get the what would amount to almost $15,000 in today's money for just bringing a person back. But when people would flee, you know, whether to Florida, to Mexico, or to northern states or Canada, you would have slave patrols that would go into those areas and either try to get someone who was a former slave if they knew, even though they may be a free person, or maybe they were even born free, or you had people who would legitimately kidnap free children, take them to a southern state, and then have them auctioned off. I read about one, and I read about a woman, and I think I'm going to do a podcast just about Patty Cannon, because she she has a little bit, a lot about her. Um, and as like Women's History Month, I'm like, we got to talk about the good and the bad. So we have fun, interesting women, and then we have shitty women. Patty Cannon's a shitty woman. Excuse my French. Not really, though. So I'm not trying to say that there was no such thing as police. However, the police in a lot of areas were unarmed. Slave patrols were completely armed. I am sure that you didn't know this fact. And if you did, I'm upset that you didn't share it with me. But the majority of city's policemen were unarmed until 1858. And that is when we have the first unarmed murder of someone by policemen. So here are the facts. And I'm again, I'm mad if you knew this and didn't tell me. New York City police officer carrying an unauthorized weapon killed an Irish immigrant, Mr. John Hollis, who posed no threat while running away from this police officer. And you know what? This lovely policeman, I'm sure he's lovely in his own head. He got off despite public outcry. And this was also the first news reporting of an unarmed man being murdered by police. Obviously, it's not the last. This happened in New York City. There's another one almost immediately afterwards in Boston, and they started arming police. And John Hollis was an Irish immigrant. If you know much about history, you have the Know Nothing Party and the nationalism uh, movement, where literally it's we like British people and people who speak British English, not the Irish and the Scottish. And we like some Germans and we like a little bit of French. But if you were Irish, you weren't really considered white. You were above black people, but you were definitely down at the bottom. Anyways, Irish people, totally another story. So you already have this unaccountability happening throughout police, in a sense. And there's no one being held accountable. Uh, we've already talked about in like way, way long ago when we were talking about the ball numbers and how you just didn't really have the law really going after or even the courts going after and prosecuting people who did wrong things and you have people who take it upon themselves. Well, 
no one has stood up really to the police except for when you have protests. So when you think about modern day times, this has been an ongoing thing for what? Over a hundred something years where, you know, people just get accosted by people that have been ordained, whether as a slave patrol or whether as a state militia to be like, hey, who are you? What are you doing? And they're not being held accountable. So now that we've kind of talked about how we had the slave patrols and how they kind of went to the militias because they, again, they were trained at these military academies. You have to understand that obviously once the civil war is over, reconstruction's over, slave patrols no longer need to exist. So during the civil war, the slave patrollers duties became more than just every once in a while. They expanded their duties. They expanded the things that they could do to black people while they were apprehending runaways. If they wanted to monitor different ways of travel. They would also break up large gatherings and assemblies of Blacks, um, visiting and searching slave quarters randomly, inflicting impromptu punishments. So it'd just be like flog somebody for the hell of it. And that just sounds ridiculous. And as an occasion may have risen, they would suppress insurrections. If you've seen some movies, you may have noticed that not all slave patrollers were white. I mean, just as some women hate other women, there were some former slaves that hated former slaves or that hated current slaves. I can't imagine or fathom how they got to that mindset. Again, maybe I shouldn't have done this by myself. Let's just be real. Could have somebody else maybe come in with a good opinion on that. However, most of the people that were slave patrollers were white men and they came from working in middle-class conditions. And again, in some Southern states, the militia that had already been established as well as the army served as those slave patrols. And even in some other uh, Southern states, they literally were dictated by the legislation of the local government. So one of the perks, if you will call it a perk of being a slave patroller, is that their compensation wasn't just money, but it also included being exempted from public county and parish, if you live in a parish, taxes and fees while they were serving their term as a slave patroller. And some of them received extra money when they found someone versus just being paid regularly. So as we've kind of talked about, we have these slave patrols, we've talked about the militias, we've talked about state government, but we have the Civil War looming. And when the Civil War started, the number of slave patrols increased because white people expected slaves to revolt and to start rebellions because they would have heard about the Civil War happening. And they were like, oh, no, oh, no, we got to put them in their place, the place that we think that they should be in. Or they thought they were going to escape to go join the Union Army. And they're like, we're not having any of that. No, no, no. So local governments then started appointing more patrols. But as the war dragged on, more and more white women were being called upon to serve in the army. Because remember, the Confederate Army kind of lives on a lot of people. And they wind up having like little children basically serving. Some of those men who would have served in slave patrols, how they remained in their local communities, then went to serve in the army instead. So those young men that may have been turned away by the army mostly for medical reasons and they couldn't serve in the Confederate army, ended up taking places within the slave patrols. And then you see after the Emancipation Proclamation, there is an increasing number of white men being called to the militias of the South in 1862 and 63, which resulted in many slave patrols simply not having enough men to be as active as they once were. So you already start seeing like this diminishing slave patrol, but it doesn't mean that what the slave patrol stood for and what was going on wasn't happening. And also, as the Union Army moved into those southern states, taking over where they have like the burning of Georgia, the likelihood that enslaved people that could flee to the areas controlled by the Union increased. Enslaved people who were considered obedient started to disappear in the night, running toward the Union Army to emancipate themselves. 
Because again, the Emancipation Proclamation said anybody, any slave in the Southern state was free. So you see a Union officer, you're going to run to them and be like, ha ha, I see you. I'm free. I'm in Union territory again. Well, as a lot of us know, and a lot of us like to pretend to forget, the South lost the Civil War. And then after that, you have Reconstruction. And Reconstruction, definitely, if you were in the South, is like a lot of hubble jubble, and you're like, so the North came and helped the South and had all these rules, and then they kind of just left it at whatever. Yes, Andrew Johnson was a horrible president. But that's another story. So during Reconstruction, a lot of Southern whites were like, we are outnumbered by former slaves living around us. Because I don't know, you br- you intentionally made people breed so you could then have more slaves to have more property or to sell them because you're psychotic and you think owning people is normal. But anyways, they started having a fear of African Americans. And it increased, obviously, in 1865 after the Civil War um, and with Reconstruction going on. And even though slavery and the patrols legally ended, the patrol system that they started still survived. Almost instantaneously, I wouldn't say like overnight, but like, let's say that the Civil War ended on Sunday, probably by Saturday, these informal patrols sprang into action. And they then started these militia, like these former militias, former slave patrollers, or people who then decided they wanted to join these patrols. Again, they're not slave patrols anymore. Um, They would also be joined by city and rural police squads. Along with the help of some union, Union Army officers who had come down, they revived patrolling practices. And then during that Reconstruction period, so now you have Union officers who have come down, they're there during Reconstruction, trying to keep the peace, that are now working with, you know, possible former slave patrollers, people who are part of Confederate Army, those state militias, that are now patrolling through these newly freed individuals, mostly Black men, that's who they were targeting, and they were using forms of intimidation that were used originally by the slave patrollers. A lot of that patrolling, so like when we think of patrolling, you usually think of like the police or even a neighborhood watch group, both which, eh. But after Reconstruction, which ended technically 1877, you had the old style patrol methods resurface and were basically enforced by those Southern police officers who... A lot of them were slave patrollers. Part of those militias understood, you know, what was going on. And a lot of those police officers were also part of this wonderful organization that is just so vibrant and wonderful. Please, I hope you understand and note my sarcasm, but the Ku Klux Klan. So you have the KKK adopting slave patrols style of patrolling. Or if you didn't know, they're also called the Patty Rollers. And I now kind of assume that when we uh, call you know, police off, like going in a police car, the paddy wagon. I'm like, is it because of the term paddy rollers, which was also a traditional term for slave patrols? But anyways, it's shitty. It's horrible. And it's, it's ridiculous. So, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century, a lot of police officers happened to also be a part of the KKK and use the same tactics that slave patrollers had used while as a police officer and as members of the KKK. They may have been one or the other. They may not have been both, but there were a lot of people in legal stuff, especially during the you know beginning of the KKK, that were originally part of Confederate armies. They held, I'm making hand motions like you guys can understand what I'm doing and see what I'm trying to infer. They held um, positions at the top. So you might have a judge or someone that's a leadership position in the community. And it's not it's not an unfathomable conclusion to look at how slave patrols literally patrol looking for people versus how the 
police, especially in the early 20th century, were patrolling and looking for people, you can go back and look at, you know, how they broke up unions, not just um, going against the 1960s, but the early 20th century, when it comes to riots and how they acted, those are the same tactics that were used in the 19th century um, when it came to slavery and any of those large gatherings by enslaved people at the time. It's not cool to talk about in history classes because I guess it's really hard to hear about the fact that, well, somebody in this class probably is related to somebody who was a shitty slave patroller and they weren't shitty at their job. They're just a shitty human being. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to think about great, great grandma, great, great grandpa being a shitty person, turning people in. But we also have to realize that serial killers have families too. Murderers have families. Um, The Unabomber was turned in by a family member. Not like this makes us any better. I feel like I'm rambling and I'm probably not going to edit my rambling. So I apologize in advance for this. No, I don't. It's me, guys. If you know me, you know me. But the way that those patrols were set up going from those militias and then for those people to be joining those local police enforcements, whether it's, you know, city, county, state, whatever it may be at the, you know, the turn of the 20th century, they used their previous background, whether they were a slave patroller, whether they were in a militia whether they were, you know, a Confederate soldier or even a Union soldier. And those patrolling methods that they used were incorporated into police tactics that were used in the early 1900s. So again, thinking about riots and how they would have them scatter. I don't know what that term is. Anyways, you look at how a lot of police encounters in the early 20th century went. And the fact that there really is no police form and there was really no checks and balances um, I mean, like, as I talked, there were first unarmed person shot and, you know, killed in 1858. While there was a public outcry, nothing happened to the police officer. They were still working, still employed, didn't go to jail, didn't die. I mean, they died. They're obviously not alive now, but they didn't, you know, have consequences for their actions. The person was unarmed and posed no threat. An Irish immigrant. I mean, I hate to feel like this is a story as old as time, but it's a story as old as time that you have a lot of unarmed men, mostly, I would say probably 95% men that are murdered. And when we say that, you know, there's, oh, there's more white men murdered than black men in America, you need to look at population statistics. Black people make up a smaller percent of the total US population, but they take up a bigger percentage of deaths at the hands of officers. And there's not always accountability. And I don't think a lot of people have that anger that they probably should. I I will admit that I have not been as angry as I could or should be in the past before probably the last couple of years. I'm trying to be a better ally. And again, as my, I know this podcast is listened to by a lot of my friends, which thank you. And to probably people, I, maybe people I don't even know, thank you as well for listening. But I want to be a better ally. I want to be more active in my community and not just with my podcast and what I'm doing. I've talked about I wanting to run for a city council position. I've talked about wanting to be more active. And I think I need to start being more active before just being like, I'm going to run for governor. Well, that's basically my rambling of the day. I hope you learned something about slave patrols. Like and the fact that there's a reverse underground railroad where people would intentionally egg slaves on to leave so then they could re-kidnap them. Or where slave patrollers would go into certain states or non-states like... Florida, where former slaves literally reached agreements with the Seminoles in Florida to be like, hey, we're going to, you know, have our own militia. We're going to do this here because you're not a part of anything. We're cool. We'll just, you know, get our lives together here. And they were basically recaptured by 
slave patrollers from Georgia who would come down and try to find them. And slave patrollers, even if they saw a free black person or free, like someone who was a former slave, they would rip up their paper, which boggles the hell out of me because you can never reprove. So let's say that your master had died and on their deathbed, they gave you free papers to make you a free person. Unless somehow you just, I don't know. It boggles my mind that people don't take into account of how shitty American history really is, especially when it comes to slavery and what people did to instigate slavery, how they profited from slavery. And it's not just a matter of having appropriations. I do believe there should be appropriations. But you just need to have this history taught. Like, you know, you have like one really bad photo when talking about slavery with someone. Um, and I'm sure that we've all seen the photo of the former slave who had all those mark, whip marks on their back. And it's just, it's making my skin crawl thinking about it. But again, I hope you learned a little bit about slave patrols, how they were created, how they were basically formed like militias, funded by local and state governments, dictated how there were laws that impacted not only black people, but white people as well, that you all had to follow, which leads to a police state, how most police officers didn't carry any sort of gun until, you know, 1860s. And the first time someone in New York City does and it's unauthorized weapon, they shoot and kill someone running away from them. That was posing no threat, and they apparently might have known who it was, so they could have just arrested them later. Whatever. Trying to save my peace over here. After Reconstruction, you have the rise of the KKK using the patrolling from slave patrols, as well as those militia, and having that organization. And then a lot of them joining their local police, and then carrying on those patrolling tactics from slave patrols, from that militia, from those military backgrounds. But during Jim Crow laws, how they would enforce those rules, those arbitrary, stupid-ass rules that varied from state to state, basically, it's it's a lot. And I feel like this was a lot of a lot of information. And it just makes me mad and angry to learn about it. Because there's nothing, there's nothing anyone can do in a past sense. Like I can't go back in the past and change things. If I could, I would. But you can learn more. You can educate people. I'm not saying that police officers nowadays are slave patrollers. They're in a sense a modern day slave patroller just because of the tact- a lot of the tactics that have been used. But not everyone is horrible, but also not everyone is great. And we need to be able to hold people accountable. That is the part that is, I think, the most important because not all slave patrollers were held accountable. Their only deterrent to not being a piece of shit when they found a runaway slave was that if they brought someone back who couldn't work the next day, they didn't get paid or they were docked or they had to pay the person or pay that master for that slave for whatever damage or whatever work they could have done. And that's really shitty to think about. Everything is shitty in this podcast. Well, just this episode, how I feel about it. It makes, it's very heavy, but I promise the next episode will be a lot more fun and a lot more lighthearted. I'm going to try to be more lighthearted and fun and special, at least in the next one, maybe next two. Promise-ish. Anyways, That has been But Have You Heard About? I'm your host, Courtney, and I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Bye!